Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Just want to clear up something that I said in the uh, last segment. I know many of you are waiting with breathless anticipation to watch the Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers go at it. Um,. Uh, we will tell you that that game is a 3:40 Eastern, 140, and this was because the NBC wanted to carry the lighting of the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Plaza. And I just want to point out, okay, you know, ESPN and ABC were in Roger Goodell's ear saying, "Hey, man, we would have shown that game for you in prime time." not at 140 uh, Mountain Time and 340 Eastern, because that's kind of how it works sometimes. Do you, do you want to tell you, Roos Chris Steakhouse, the greatest steak you've ever had, Edmonton owned and operated, open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 p.m. until close. Head down to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Brendan, Maggie, Taylor, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. As promised, we go to our headliner today for touchback safety. When it's time for safety training, trust the experts at touchbacksafety.com. Your safety is their goal. I don't know if he's in uh, the state of hockey in Minnesota or back in New York City ready to re-engage with his NHL network, but we are pleased to be joined on the blower by Brian Lawton. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bob. How are you? Good. Are you in Mini or are you back in New York City? I'm in a very cold place right now. I'm in a cold plunge pool overlooking the ocean in Mexico. In San Lucas. So I'm not many, but I'm in a cold place. Hey, how, like, is it easy to get across the border there at this time? Like, I'm serious about this. How, I, because I, I, I'd be in, I'd kind of be interested in, I've, I've never actually, I haven't been in Mexico since I was six. Uh, I went in 1972 with my family when we went down to Southern California in a country squire station wagon. But uh, how easy is it to get back and forth across the border, Brian? There's been no problems. I was very fortunate to fly down with a friend private, so it's not the normal hassle that you're used to when you do these things, but uh, we had no problems at all, and I'm leaving tomorrow, and I expect no problems on the way out or the way back. Awesome stuff. So you uh, were not waiting with breathless anticipation for the lighting of the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Plaza. No, I was more interested in reading Corey Cronin's uh, review of the Canadian World Junior Camp. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, well, as you know, the World Juniors is in Edmonton. Uh, hopefully, it gets pull, uh, pulled off. We got a lot going on here. We've, and I don't know if you if you were able to see your. Uh, your phone, but I text you a couple of questions just before we get to sort of the latest news with the late Brian. Uh, Jesse Pulyarvi, you've been there. You were a top pick. There was great expectations on you. Pulyarvi returns to the NHL after playing in Europe for a year and a half. What's the realistic course of action, do you think, in terms of the Oilers' deployment? How they use uh, Jesse Pulyarvi when he comes back? Obviously, he's going to get some freshness in terms of a new manager and a new coach, and I think that's really going to help him. He really went over and worked on his game 
Uh, I think that's fantastic. The, the whole move that he went through probably didn't feel great for the club. But having been there in that position, I think it has the potential to be really great for Yessi. I mean, you know, the the analysis on him is that the hockey sense isn't maybe as great as some people thought or hoped. Um, that could be true. But uh, there's a lot to be said for confidence in the National Hockey League, particularly when you're a high pick. And this I know from having been there and starting my career. And you know, I was drafted the same year as Steve Eisenman. And I can remember playing those guys in exhibition. I played all the time, had three or four points in the game. Stevie maybe got an assist, got beat up a little bit. Their team wasn't very good. We came back and played him in the regular season, and uh, I remember at one point he had like 37 goals, and I had like 10. And I attribute a lot of that to opportunity and confidence. In my case, not comparing myself to Stevie, he was 100 times better than me. But I understand what Yessie, you know, potentially was dealing with when it didn't come together maybe as quickly as people would have liked. So going back to Europe and having a chance to build that confidence up from the ground, feel really good about your game, the way he played in the finish, he was spectacular. Um, I'm really excited to see how he does, what he does, how Dave Tippett handles him, how Ken Holland speaks to him, and uh, see if he can change the narrative about uh, what's really just the first inning in a, hopefully what will be a long career. So super excited for Jesse. Well, and I hope it's a long career here at Edmonton. In terms of where he would slot in the lineup, would you play him a little further down out of the gate? I think that's going to be a field decision for Dave Tippett and the coaching staff when they get him in there, see how he fits in. If he looks at all like he, you know, he's going to need another step coming back, and I think you can comfortably play him with a third center and Kyle Turris. That's a guy that has some proven touch in this league that might make it easier to acclimatize himself back on the team. Uh, he doesn't have to start in a top six role when you get picked fourth overall, certainly in the top five, six, seven players. You know, teams are generally looking at you as being a top six forward or a top four D. Um, in the end, that's just what teams are looking for. That doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that's where you'll end up. So I, I think it would be fine to start him on a third line role. I think it would be incredibly detrimental if he only ends up in a fourth line role, personally. Brian, you've been on both sides of this. You've represented players as an agent. You've been in management. What's your take on the current situation with the National Hockey League and the NHLPA? Should the league have known in the contract negotiations for the MOU that we could have as severe a situation as we do with COVID? And is it realistic for the league to go to the PA and say, look, we're in a 50-50 deal. There's not as much money uh, available as we thought. We're going to have to change the deal. Is that fair? Give me your take on that. Wow, that is a really tough question. Um, I think that the league has been very smart, if you look under the covers, to position this as a request versus a demand. I do think we're going to have a league, whether or not the play, uh, a season, whether or not the playoff 
players give in or don't give in. Um, I think in order, if you're talking in terms of fair, for the players to give anything back, I would find it highly unlikely they would do that without getting some other concession. Not necessarily money, but something else that's important to them. If that happens, I think it'll go smooth. If it doesn't, you know, I, I do believe deep down that eventually the National Hockey League is going to have to play. I believe they want to play. Um, I believe they would just like it to be under a little bit more favorable terms for them. They're realizing that the amount of money they originally agreed under today's fluid situation would be incredibly detrimental. At the same time, if I were a player, I would recognize that not taking salary now would actually be a benefit for the player because they will lose less in future years due to escrow. So they've got a leg to stand on, but it's certainly a complicated issue, and uh, it hasn't been well-received by players. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, uh, but I still think it gets worked out. I do think there's common ground there, and I think both sides will find it. It was received, though, pretty roughly by the players would be the fairest way to say it. One of the loudest agents is Alan Walsh. He was with the firm you started, Octagon. Is, now, he it, it, would he be one of the more assertive agents on those NHLPA? How, how does that all work? Like, how much engagement level would a guy like that have? Uh, and would there be other agents that would be of the mindset, hey, we got to find a way to work out a compromise here? It's like anything else in life. You're going to find guys extreme to the left or the right, extreme in terms of hardness, other guys extreme in terms of let's just play and get along, and then you'll have guys in the middle. Allen would be considered one of the more hard or severe agents. He's built his career off of that. He's proud of it. He doesn't run away from it. It is who he is. I did work with him. He had many conversations about it. I love his passion. Um, sometimes he shoots first and asks questions later, though. And I'm not saying this is one of those times, um, but Alan is Alan, and everybody knows what he stands for and how he approaches problems. So, in my opinion, yes, he would be one of the more aggressive agents. Do you think the the players are aware of the? Because I'm sure the league is. Like we're dealing with a worldwide pandemic. And there's a lot of people out there hurting. And a lot of people really don't want to hear about millionaire players uh, in a dispute with billionaire owners. You know what I'm saying? I do. And there's no doubt that's some of the reality. And there's no doubt I've talked to players about it. It's not lost on them what's going on in the world. Just like it's not lost on ownership groups what's going on in the world. It is a very complicated issue, uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit players or owners to have a public dispute right now about money. It is just not the appropriate time, and yet it's happening. I think it's going to get resolved. It will be in the past, but until it does, I think there's some uneasiness on both sides. Brian, as always, we appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us from Mexico. Safe travels back to the U.S., and we'll hook up next week, okay? Appreciate it, Bob. Thank you very much. All right. That is uh, Brian Lott. It sounded like we literally got him on the boat.
I, I'm just going to say, like, uh, anyways, that's I had no idea he was in Mexico today, so that was awesome that he took the time to join us on Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer and Brendan Escott with you. You can text us at any time at 780-496-0063. Interesting comment. I mean, Brian Lott was the number one overall pick in the 1983 draft. Uh, LaFontaine and uh, Steve Eisenman went after him. He referenced, you know, uh, Minnesota taking it to Detroit in preseason, but then Eiserman having a, a really impactful, uh, uh, rookie year. Steve Eiserman's an interesting player. Um, it took him a while to win, like 13 seasons, and he needed a support network built around him to win. And some people have said, well, that's because he finally committed to playing defense. He was always a really good player. You know, he had 39 goals as a rookie and 87 points. Steve Eiserman had back-to-back 60-goal campaigns in 88-89 and 89-90. He had 155 points in 88-89. 127 points in 89-90, the year Mark Messier won his MVP. And it just, it, you know, all the way to, say, 1990. Like, think about when Detroit, they finally won his first Stanley Cup in 1996-97. And, oh, by the way, by that point, they had Fedorov. They had Lidstrom and a host of other really good players. Did not happen overnight for Steve Eisenman in Detroit. Uh, five years to become a 100-point player. Five years to become a 50-goal scorer. In a time in which scoring was considerably higher than the era that we live in right now. I mean, Connor McDavid, the last four years, has been a top-two scorer in the National Hockey League. Leon Dreisaitl, the last two years, has been the only player in the NHL to have better than 100 points in each of the last two years. So I think, you know, if if we can get to the point here where, you know, Eiserman finished, I think, with almost 1,800 points in 1,500 games, if Edmonton's fortunate enough that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl both play 1,500 games, they're going to, I mean, Connor for sure is going to be a guy that would have it. If Connor played 1,500 games, he might get to 2,000 points the way he's going as a player. Leon might get to 17 or 1,800 points. But it didn't happen overnight for those guys. And isn't it interesting that Lawton can totally relate to the pressure that a guy like Pugliarvi may have felt. Um, and you get the sense, and in fairness, Lawton's a former teammate of Dave Tippett's, but he has confidence in the maturation of the combination of the general manager and the head coach. And I think that experience that can – put it this way. I'll throw this out there right now. The experience, if yes, a Pulley becomes a player in Edmonton, I think most of us would agree that the patience that Ken Holland showed was going to play a factor in that happening. I don't think there's any debate about it. And we'll see. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to guarantee you it's going to, I have not seen Jesse play this season in Finland. The numbers aren't as great. I know we're going to talk about it a bit coming up with David Staples. But uh, you are, I mean, if you're Yessa Pugliarvi, you're sitting there two picks before Matthew Kachuk. You heard Brian Burke on the show. Burke will be back tomorrow on the show. He'll tell you, Calgary, you had Pugliarvi ranked ahead of Kachuk in that draft year. You know, Matthew Kachuk, for me, is the most uh, important Flames forward. With all due respect to Johnny Goodrow and Sean Monahan, who are both good players, Kachuk's the guy that stirs the drink for that team. If you're Yessa Pugliarvi, you're looking at that going, you know, 
Maybe that puts some pressure on you, but I'm going to be really intrigued to see what he does, where he goes this year in Edmonton. 1248, when we come back, we'll have a prospect update for you. Oilers prospect update for James H. Brown. I'm going to bang off a bunch of texts. And time permitting, we're going to dip back into the Oilers Now Audio Vault and hear an explanation because we've had people asking, Bob, can you explain escrow and deferral? And we'll hear from uh, Hart Levine as well. This is Oilers Now. Hi, I'm Darnell Nurse from the Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chet. All right, we're going to bang off two quick texts. The first one comes from the Chisler out of Las Vegas. He says, Bob, I don't actually find Flores' text line. I'm not in the state of hockey. Or driving a wood-sided station wagon back in the day. I'm not comparing myself to others, says the Chisler, but I'm definitely not anticipating the Steelers-Raven game today. Uh, anyways, back to uh, Jesse. Well, time will tell on his front. I've always loved Lawton. Bob, is it true you're heading to Mexico via Palm Springs? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to uh, Mexico. I, I've had a couple of visits into uh, Palm Desert, Palm Springs over the last 12 years. And I actually got wet one time uh, in Palm Desert. Yes, in front of about 75 people. It was fun. This text comes in. Shane says, Bob, the Oilers fans will uh, love Pugliarvi. He'll be welcome back, and we'll all cheer hard for him. That one comes to us from Shane. We'll see. Another texter says, Bob, I uh, don't know that you and I are looking at the same player. If you put him on the PK, even as best, he doesn't really look like a PK guy to me. Definitely a power play, but not a PK. Fair comment. All I'm saying is if you're going to play, I, I, I think it's incumbent on a player at a certain point going to the coach and saying, hey, I'll volunteer to take this one on. Um, so take it for what it's worth. And I'm thinking you player reinvents himself sometimes. Time will tell with Paul Yarvey. I You know what? Total wild card. I think he can play as at least a third-line winger because I think a lot of guys can play as a third- or fourth-line winger. Uh, you know, they've got NHL talent, and he certainly has the talent to do that. Let's get into the orders now. Prospect report brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Back in the 630 Chet Studios, Brendan Eska. On Wednesdays, we take a peek at Russia. So let's start with uh, Anton Slepashev, who continues pacing all Oilers properties in scoring so far this season. He has tallied in each of Seska Moscow's last two games, has goals in six of his last eight. Uh, Carol Maximoff playing right around. 13, 14 minutes a night on that same Moscow team. He's gone uh, pointless in two games last week. 2017 third rounder, Dmitry Samarukov. He's kind of dried up production-wise. Pointless in eight straights. Now just playing under 20 minutes a night, Bob. Yeah, Slapishev, I'm just trying to recall. Was he with Lucic and Drysaddle for the final uh, three games against Anaheim? Back during the 16-17 uh, playoffs, maybe somebody can look that up. I thought Pouliot was with Nugent Hopkins and Aberle, and then it was Maroon with McDavid and Kajula. And Cassian was on the fourth line at that time uh, with Mark Letestu and Deharnay. So uh, take it for what it's worth. I, I, it's, it's interesting with Slepichev. I think this is the last year the Oilers own his rights. I, I actually think he can play in the NHL again. Uh, it may be in a, a third-line support role. All right, I said we were going to go back. We had some people asking about, you know, Bob, explain escrow, explain salary deferral, why the players are upset. Hart Levine was from uh, Puckpedia was on yesterday, back in the orders now, Audio Vault for Direct Workwear. 
Okay, so yeah, the, before the pandemic and everything, obviously escrow has been around, and like we mentioned, it's a 50-50 split um, between of revenues. Half goes to the players, half goes to the owners. Normally, we have a season where we uh, expect what the revenues might be. The players get their contracts, and until all the math and all the tickets are sold and everything counted up for a year or two later, we don't really know what the actual revenue was. And so, by putting some money in a pool, an escrow pool, that's how the owners keep some money aside from the player's contract when they figure out what the actual revenue was, take 50% of it, and then typically part of that escrow gets returned to, to get to that 50-50 number. In this case, we know that because they kept the salary cap at $81.5 million, we know even with some, what we're talking about with some deferrals or even if there was even some prorating, there's no way that the player's share uh, would be anywhere close to 50%. The, we're not going to have fans or very few fans. We know this year that the uh, player share is going to be way over 50%. So that basically means the escrow amount, where typically that would kind of be set aside and maybe returned if there's enough revenue. We know this year that the players are losing that 20% um, for good. It's it's almost impossible now for them to get that back. So that 20% is kind of gone. The, the new part with the uh, with the new memorandum in the summer was this deferral. So the deferral is different. The deferral, uh, just kind of like it sounds, the players aren't losing that money. They're just going to get it back. And the way that it was written in the memo from the summer, 10% of the players' uh, base salary and signing bonuses would be deferred, and it would go in a pool, and it would get paid out uh, evenly over three years, starting in, in year three. So, like a third in year three, four, and five. Um, so that that goes off to the side. But the other thing in the memo is that this 20% escrow right now reduces, and in the third year, it's a 10% escrow, um, and then after that, it's a 6% escrow. So I think that players certainly the biggest issue they would have is with increasing the escrow, especially um, obviously I don't think there's any way they would take an escrow increase this year because that just means lost um, salary that they'll never get back. But even looking at uh, increasing the escrow down the road, again, it's, unless that there's a big TV deal or we get a big recovery, it's quite likely that, that they're not going to get any of that escrow returned because the owners are going to need to keep all of it to get to that 50-50 uh, line. And so, again, I think increasing escrow is probably a, a hill that they, they would die on. They don't want to increase that. More deferral, on the other hand, is a completely different story. As I mentioned, this year it's a 20% escrow. So the way that it works is you have your contract. First, you defer your 10%. Then on the remainder, there's 20% escrow um, that, you, again, you're going to get withheld and lose. So if you defer more money this year, you're actually moving money from a 20% escrow year into a year with less escrow. Uh, in year three at 10% and after that 6%. So in talking to the agents, they've been, uh, some of them have been chatting with their players and, and with some of the players have realized this on their own and, and some just through the discussion with the agents, they're realizing actually if we kept the, if we don't increase the escrow but we increased deferral, that actually in the end provides more cash over the over the length of this uh, this contract. Like over the, by the time your deferral is paid out over those three years, which would be in years three, four, and five, you actually end up with more more cash in your pocket if there's more deferral because you're moving that money out of a 20% escrow year and into a 10 or 6% escrow year. 
There you go. That is Hart Levine from Puckpedia uh, talking to us a bit about uh, how the increased deferral amount uh, could theoretically work to the player's advantage. Back into the Ashley Fine Floors text line at 7804960063. Bob, uh, do you think if it was as it was uh, intimated, uh, that if the orders had just stuck with Sergachev as the pick at number four, the revisionist history, historians would be still uh, be so vocal relative to the pick? Uh, at number four, Poliarvi from Haji. Well, you know, the situation is what it is. Uh, what I would say to you is it's crazy how it all worked out. I was stoked at the draft in Buffalo that Edmonton got Poliarvi at four. I remember watching Yarmo Kaikalainen and Brad Tree leaving and Pete Shirelli. Uh, they're about yeah, about 125 feet away, so I had the binocs on them from our broadcast location. The Oilers were drafting fourth that year, so we were in the first row of the media risers, and I could see them talking. And then Yarmo stepped away, and Shirelli looked at uh, Trey Living, and I could have sworn Peter said, "We're both wow, like wow." And at that point, I I, I thought, I wonder if something's up. And uh, anyhow, here's the deal: I wasn't that big on Dubois in that draft year myself. Um, if Pugliarvi had gone number three, I, I know I've relayed the story to people before. For those of you down in Red Deer, you saw Matthew Kachuk as part of a great line with Marner and Dvorak for London. They won the Memorial Cup. Matthew Kachuk was playing with uh, on a, high, a bad high ankle sprain. He got hurt in a series against Erie. Chris Knobloch called me and said, Bob, you guys are crazy if you pass on Kachuk at number four. He's a player. And the Oilers had targeted... Mikhail Sergachev, and that was the player that Peter Shirelli wanted. And in fairness to Pete on that one, Sergachev was a hell of a player. So it is nuts how it all passed out, uh, pa- passed, you know, and worked out. And we just got to see whether or not Pugliarvi ultimately can, uh, you know, become a player, sort of, you know, a full-time NHL player. It's going to be real, real intriguing to watch. We'll continue down this path with David Staples from the Cult of Hockey after a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.